Good morning and welcome to our service here at Victory Church. We are honored that you've taken the time to log in and join us here online in our services from Victory Church coming from Marion, Arkansas. It's a pleasure and an honor to have you worship with us and open the word of the Lord together. These have been and continue to be very trying times. We're making our way through and navigating all of these changes in what has at this time become our new normal. We're anxious for the days when we'll be able to get back together. Even at that point, I don't know that we're ever going to cross the river back again to the normal as we knew it. It was Herodotus, who was the famous father of history, who said, you never cross the same river twice. And when we take the steps to go back across the river, uh, on the other side of this crisis, things are going to be very different. Um, coming together, we'll still have to practice social distancing and probably wear masks here in the service for a little while until we know that uh, the virus has completely abated. We're continuing to pray for folk and lift them up, certainly everybody in our community and anyone else who might uh, request prayer. There will be an announcer at the end of this, and you'll see an opportunity where you can share with our frontline prayer ministry any needs that you might have. As we open the Word together today... Uh, we have been looking at uh, a series called Courageous. This is number five today in the series. And what I'm doing from last week, today, and then next Sunday will be the conclusion of this in this Courageous series. This part of it came as a prayer, the result of a prayer. I was in uh, just asking the Lord, seeking Him, what I should bring to the people after Easter, after the resurrection. And in prayer, I heard the word press. And so last week, we, talk, we talked about pressing through tribulation, pressing on uh, to accomplish what God has set before us. This week, we're going to take a little bit of a different turn in examination of that word because, like a lot of English words, there can be two or three different meanings. And so I want to show you what this Bible word means in a different light. The title of this message on this fifth installment of Courageous is called Gethsemane, the place of the olive press. The scripture that I'm going to be sharing with you today is, comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. There are three verses there. Mark, chapter 14, verses 32 through 34. The Bible says, They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. I'd like you to pay attention to those words, deeply troubled and distressed. The last verse says, He told them, My soul is crushed. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. The actual word Gethsemane literally means the place of the olive press. This is the location of Jesus' last prayer before he was taken into a series of trials in the middle of the night and then crucified the next day. The, the one thing that I want to bring to you today as I share this with you, uh, those of you who may have been tuning in, certainly our own Victory Congregation, know that I use a one-thing concept in my messages because if you don't get anything else out of the message, I want you to grasp this one thing. And so we'll come back to it several times 
in the message, very much like we do singing multiple verses of a song and going back and repeating the chorus. So the one thing is sort of the chorus of this sermon. The one thing today is God's grace includes blessings for us and dealings in us. The blessings enrich us and the dealings mature us. One more time. God's grace includes blessings for us and dealings in us. The blessings enrich us and the dealings mature us. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you today for the opportunity to open your word together with each of these that are watching, listening. I just ask you, Holy Spirit, to help me. I'm desperate for your uh, working and your power. Uh, Lord, your ability to do what I can't do. I know that apart from you, I can do nothing. But I'm also grateful that you live in me and that you fill me with your presence and that the word of the Lord says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. Create in the listener a hearing ear in their heart, Father, that change and transformation for the glory of God might come in all of our lives. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask these things. All of God's people said, amen. I have something I want to share with you that a friend sent me this week. Uh, I have it here on my phone. It says, the official lockdown and the quarantine that we're in right now started March 23rd and will likely end May the 1st, somewhere around. This is not exact. It's going to be different in various states as some are, are just now entering into the crest and others have already passed that. But from March 23rd, when it began, to May 1st, that is exactly 40 days. The Latin root of the word quarantine is 40. So it's, it's curious that we maybe take a moment and find out what the Bible has to say about 40. Listen to this. The flood lasted 40 days. 40 years Moses fled Egypt. God was preparing him in the wilderness to go back and be the deliverer of the nation. Forty days, Moses stayed on Mount Sinai to receive the commandments. The exodus lasted 40 years because they ended up wandering in the wilderness 40 years between the time they left Egypt and the time they entered the promised land. The optimum number of weeks for human gestation is 40. A group of theologians thinks that the number 40 represents change. It's the time of preparing a person or a people to make a fundamental change. Something will happen after these 40 days. Just believe and pray. Remember whenever the number 40 appears in the Bible, there is a change. Typically we think of 40 as a period of testing. And many times it is a test God brings us through to prepare us for a series of changes or for a big abrupt change. Please know that during this quarantine, rivers are cleaning up. Vegetation is growing. The air is becoming cleaner because of less pollution. There is less theft and murder. Healing is happening. And most importantly, people are turning to Christ. The earth is at rest for the first time in many years. And hearts are truly transforming. This is coincidental, I think. But just, well, maybe not. Remember that we are in the year 2020. And 20 plus 20 equals 40. Also, 2020 is the year of the United States Census. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, was born during a census in the Roman Empire. Lastly, 2020 is considered to be perfect vision. 
May our sight focus on the Lord and living according to his perfect vision for us, knowing he holds us in the palm of his hand. May these days of quarantine bring spiritual liberation to our souls, our nation, and our world. I have no idea who wrote that. I do agree with all of those conclusions regarding 40, having studied numerology from a biblical perspective. The message that I want to bring to you today, I believe, bears with this concept of quarantine, which comes from 40. The first point that I want to bring is this concept of Gethsemane, the place of the olive press. The olive tree, the oil, and the press in Bible history are very symbolic. On your screen, you're going to see some pictures. The very first one is a picture that I took myself um, over 14 years ago on a trip that I made to the Holy Land. These trees are considered to be well over 2,000 years old, actually believed to be the exact same trees that were there in the garden when Jesus knelt and prayed, when he prayed the prayer that we've just read about, when he said, my soul is crushed. We'll finish that prayer in a moment, but think about these trees witnessing the prayer of the Savior of the world. Luke's gospel says that Jesus was in such great distress that he began to sweat great drops of blood. There is actually a medical condition that refers to that, where the capillaries in your skin burst and uh, it began to fill your sweat or the pores of your skin with the blood. And so think about these trees that were there 2,000 years ago and bear witness to what was beginning to take place, the last steps of the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. These trees and the olives on them, the oil that comes from it, and the press, the olive press that was right there in that garden where Jesus prayed, all have powerful symbolism in the Bible. The olive tree itself speaks of great blessing from God, even prosperity. That's going to be important as we look at that in a moment. The oil that comes from the pressing of the fruit of the olive tree, literally throughout Scripture, is a biblical type of the Holy Spirit because it becomes used as a primary element in what we call the anointing oil. We'll get to that in a moment. The press that produces the oil from the fruit from the olive tree is actually a picture or a type of the dealings of God in our lives, the pressure that we go through for God to, to mature us and to develop the image of his firstborn son, Jesus, inside of us. The, the symbols are powerful, but the process even speaks more to us as the olive harvest begins to dawn and the time to begin to reap those, the fruit from those trees. The harvesters would actually shake the trees. Now, just st stop for a moment and think with me the shaking that some of us have gone through financially and relationally and the challenge for our families being in our homes with uh, people that we're not used to spending more than about three or four hours a day. And it's just been around the clock because parents are working from home and having to participate together in homeschooling their children. A after the trees were shaken, there would be a, a significant number of olives that would still remain. And the harvesters would have long rods. They would climb ladders that would lean against the trees. And they would take the rods and beat the branches. Some of us feel like we've been through a beating with some of the things that we've been through. Once the olives are all gathered, they would be poured into the trough of the press. And you've probably seen that picture there of the olive press. There's the one that first appeared 
was a young, uh, not a young, but a, a Messianic Jewish man by the name of Ari, great friend of mine who was a phenomenal Bible teacher who led us on our eight-day tour uh, all over Israel. Wonderful things that we saw, and every time we would stop at a particular location, he would open the Bible from the Old Testament and show us how it was fulfilled in Jesus in the New Testament. At one point, he stopped and taught about 30 minutes leaning against that olive press. The usage after the oil is produced, they would fill lamps and burn the oil for light. It was used for cosmetics for both uh, women to beautify themselves and then men to soothe uh, chapped or burning skin. The scripture says in Psalm 104 verse 15, listen to this. You cause grass to grow for the livestock and plants for people to use. You allow them to produce food from the earth, wine to make them glad, or another translation says wine to make glad the hearts of man, olive oil to soothe their skin, and bread to give them strength. Now think about this. Every one of those elements that God blesses us with from the fruit of the earth, wine, oil, and bread, all are products of something that's been crushed. Wine comes from the the crushing of grapes. The oil comes from the crushing of olives. The bread comes from the crushing of wheat. And then all of that produced together, God gives us something that blesses us. The blessings of God come in our lives to enrich us, and the dealings of God come in our lives to mature us. And all of those are types of both, a blessing from God and a dealing from God. The third usage is the anointing oil. The anointing oil was used to consecrate things, to set them apart, better said to make them holy. And we have all kinds of ideas about what holiness is. Uh, Some of them are not biblical, but just very simply the word holy means to set apart to be set apart from something, and to be set apart to something. As believers, we're to be holy, set apart from sin. But we're also to be holy, set apart to the purpose of God, set apart from sin, set apart to God's purpose in our lives. So it is a set apart that is negative, and it's a set apart that is positive. Anointing oil was used for three offices in the Old Testament, those that were prophets, those that were priests, and those that were kings. And Jesus Christ is all three of those. The anointing or the Christos, the Christ. Literally the word Christ is a transliteration of the Greek word Christos, which means the anointed one or the anointing. Okay, And so Jesus obviously has a fullness of the Holy Spirit, the oil of God's presence in his life. Remember our one thing, God's grace includes blessings for us and dealings in us. The blessings enrich us and the dealings mature us. Point number two, let's look a little bit deeper to this prayer that Jesus prayed. It's God in the garden of Gethsemane. 32, it tells us that they went to Gethsemane. He he said, sit here while I go and pray. He took his three closest disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. The Bible says Jesus was deeply troubled and distressed, and his own words were, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He was crushed because he knew what he was about to deal with. He knew his immediate future dealt with grave suffering, indescribable pain. He knew that the purity that he 
uh, as the Son of God and as the Son of Man that would have poured out upon him the, the sins of the world. And he would experience a, a, a grave separation when he was on the cross. He quoted Psalm 23, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Psalm 22. He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was that moment where Jesus felt the withdrawing of the presence of the Father because of the sins of the world that had been placed upon him. Verse 35, back to Gethsemane, the scripture says, He went on a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Verse 36, Jesus says, Abba, Father, he cried out, Everything is possible for you, Father. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. We, we normally hear this from the King James, not my will, but thine be done. Verse 37, then he returned and he found the disciples asleep. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even for one hour? Verse 38, he said, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Last verse, verse 39, it says, then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. Think about this. Jesus goes deeper into the garden where the olive press is, and this very symbol of crushing, of pressing, is, is a good description for the agony that he experienced when he prayed in this place where I earlier described as sweating great drops of blood. The anguish, the agony that our Savior was in was one because of recognizing what he was about to encounter. Now, obviously, Jesus suffered for us to a degree that we will never suffer ourselves. And what I'm about to do in terms of drawing a comparison is only in the sense of showing you that what Jesus had happened to him is a pattern in a much, much, much smaller degree for us. When we walk with God, we experience both mountains and valleys in our lives. I mean, wouldn't I think how wonderful it would be just to live life where everything's on the top of the mountain and maybe you've seen the meme where the athlete that's the mountain climber has his hands raised in victory and he's up on top of the mountain he's feeling complete triumph and there's something very wonderful about that moment God lets us celebrate numerous moments of victory and triumph in our lives but I believe if we never walk through a valley we would never fully appreciate the victory that was obtained in getting up that mountain think about this The psalmist said in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We're going to walk through difficult seasons. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, Don't think it's strange when this stuff happens. Peter picked up that same concept in his epistle, and he said, The fiery trials that you're walking through, don't, don't think that something strange is happening to you. This is typical. This is normal. This is the normal for people who walk with God. You know, many times in America, because we've been saturated to some degree in the last 40 years in, in an Americanized gospel and kind of the health and wealth gospel, And let me just stop and give a caveat. Let me just clarify. I believe that God wants you to be healthy. And I also believe in prosperity. But I don't believe it to the degree that that particular movement has taken it to the point of ignoring or attempting to explain away troublesome times, times of suffering, times of tribulation, times of affliction. 
Listen to just a few verses. I have a dozen here, but I'm only going to give you about four of them. And literally, the dozen is only the tip of the iceberg. There are hundreds of scriptures that speak to how God uses suffering in the lives of people. The scripture says in Romans 12, 12, Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Isaiah 48, 10 says, I have refined you, not as silver is refined. Rather, I have refined you in the furnish of suffering. When we go through difficult times, we learn things that we can't learn in a book or from somebody else telling their story. There is a furnace of experience that when I go through it, I know the lesson. I know what it tastes like. I hear it. I can feel it. I can sense it. Jeremiah 7, verse 8, he writes to the people of God. He says, don't be fooled into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is here. That's a lie. There were people who were under the false idea that because the temple of God was in Jerusalem, that God would never let anything happen to that city. And the people went into idolatry and they turned away from God. And God let the temple be ransacked and destroyed in order to get the attention of his covenant people. Acts 3.18, the scripture says, But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Acts 5, verse 41, The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. So many other great ones. I don't have time. Let me skip a a few. Philippians 3.10, Paul says, That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. James 5.13 says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. Multitudes of great verses concerning this. And I'm not glorifying suffering. God doesn't intend for you to stay in that place. But don't waste the difficult circumstance. The Bible says in in Psalm 34, the psalmist says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. God wants to bring you through this difficult season, but don't waste what you're going through. Just squeeze every bit of juice out of the grape. Squeeze every bit of oil out of the olive and come through on the other side, learning what God is teaching us as a people, what God is teaching us as individuals. Last one, Psalm 119, verse 71. My suffering was good to me, the psalmist said, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. God always has something redemptive in our difficult seasons. In the life of Jesus, the suffering he went through was in him and for us. We all know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the the measure of love right there. For God so loved that he gave. But look at this in the life of the believer. Most folk have never heard this before. Do you know that John 3.16 is about Jesus, but 1 John 3.16 is about us following in his footsteps or his example. Listen, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. John 3.16, Jesus laid down his life for us. 1 John 3.16, I'm called to lay down my life for you. And us, one for another. Parents for your children. Children for your moms and dads. For each other, for friends. 
In the life of the believer, the dealings of God are in us and for them. In Jesus, it was in him and for us. So God uses the difficult seasons to develop something, to press the oil out of the olive and to produce the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God's grace includes blessings for us and dealings in us. The blessings enrich us and the dealings mature us. My third point this morning is losing my life for the kingdom. Well, pastor, that that doesn't sound too exciting. I'm not too motivated about losing my life. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 8.35. He said, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. That can mean the idea of martyrdom. But I'll just say for the vast majority of Christians, that's not the concept. I want you to see what he means. There are three Greek words for life in the New Testament. The first one is the Greek word bios. Technically, in Greek, it would be bios, but we would say bios. And it means the life of the physical body. We get the English word biology from it. The scripture talks about the the cares of this life, the cares of this biological life that I live. The, The next Greek word for life in the New Testament is the word suke. We get our English word psyche from it and the English word psychology, which means the study of the soul. Our soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. Now, if you look back at the verse and it says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. The Greek word for life right there is not talking about your physical existence. It's talking about your soul life. It has the word suke right there. It's saying, if you're willing to lay down, let's get it one more time. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, your emotions. Learn this. Your mind, my mind is what I think. My will is what I want. My emotions are what I feel. Okay? And so basically Jesus is saying, until you can learn to lay down what you think and what you feel and what you want then you can't grasp the greater life of God. There's one more word, a Greek word for life in the New Testament, and it's the Greek word zoe. It literally means the uncreated, eternal life of God. When I'm willing to lay down my suke, then I can receive God's zoe. When I'm willing to lay down my mind, my will, my emotions, when I can... Quit trying to hang on to what I think, what I want, and what I feel and be able to say, God, not my will. This is what Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. This was his laying down his own soul life. My soul is crushed. Remember at the beginning when we read this? Basically what Jesus was saying is, I'd prefer not to have this happen to me. God, you can do all things. If there's any way, let this cup pass. Jesus says, my soul is crushed. What he thought, what he wanted physically in that moment, what he felt was something he had to lay down. He said, nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. King James says, not my will, but thine be done. Hear this. When we are able to come to a point in our difficult circumstances to resign to lay down, to surrender, and to say, God, I'm going to quit trying to do this in my own strength, but God, I look to you. I lay down what my expectations were, what I thought how this thing was going to turn out. I prayed this prayer, and it looks like you're answering it just not the way I thought you were. 
It's amazing how God does that. He'll show up and bring the blessing, but he more times than not doesn't do it through the same way that you thought it was coming. If you continue to read this story, and I have one more little thought and I'm finished. If you continue to read this same story over in Luke's gospel, in Luke 22, it goes on to show how Judas shows up. He betrays Jesus with a kiss. Here comes the disciples, and one of them lops off the the, the ear of the, high pri- of the servant of the high priest, Jesus picks it back up and says, stop this, and he heals that high priest's ear. Can you imagine this? Folk are coming to take him as captive, and he ends up healing the folks. He said, no, 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 we're not going to do this. We're not going to behave that way. And he says, okay, guys, and he surrenders. He goes with them. And the rest of the story opens up this way. It says, they took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance. That just struck me. It jumped off the page this week in my prayer time preparing for this message. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. Now think about what happened. Peter's following Jesus at a distance. Another translation says he followed him afar off. In other words, he, was, he still kept Jesus within eyeshot, but he was far enough away from him that nobody would think that he was one of his disciples. And when I was reading that this week, I felt the Spirit of the Lord whisper into my heart, my people are social distancing me. Think about that. Let that sink into your heart. How many times do we go through the motions? Religious calisthenics, even if we do show up at church thinking we're just kind of getting a gold star from God or, or maybe once in a while we will pray when we're in trouble. But we keep God at an arm's length, sort of a social distance. And I want you to know that the Father is saying to us as a nation, He's saying to America, I want to draw you back in to me, to draw near to as a matter of fact, this, the, the, the writer of James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I believe I'm talking to somebody right now and I myself have been in that same situation where I've been going through the motions and have just sort of kept God at a distance. And I'm going to tell you, what we're going through right now, what we're suffering as a nation, God is redeeming this. He's drawing us to himself. Don't keep pushing things away, the things of the Spirit. God is moving and working in your life. And if you'll just lay down what you think and what you want and what you feel and say, God, not my will but yours, I promise you in the middle of that, God will show up in your life. He'll show up in your family. He'll show up in your finances. And he'll transform the circumstances that you're dealing with. But stop social distancing Jesus. He doesn't need six feet from you. He needs to be close to your heart. The writer of Ephesians 2 says, those who are afar off are brought near by the blood of Christ. I believe that God is calling us as a nation to say, Father, I'm all in. I seek your face and I want to know you. My personal prayer is that God would use these circumstances and send revival. I am a student of history. I have a graduate degree in history. And I want to tell you that after every plague in history, there's always been a great flowering of creativity. And many times, a a spiritual revival, a renewal that transformed nations. And so my hope after this 40 days, whether that's literal or it's just a proximity to wherever you're living Because people are watching this around the world. I want to tell you, 
that, that God has given you a hope, even as it says in Romans, to rejoice in hope, to be patient in affliction and to be patient in trouble, but to be faithful in prayer. God's coming near you. He's walking by. And as he does, don't waste this moment. Come on and get all in. Say, God, I'm yours. Everything that I have, everything that I don't have, everything I am and everything I'm not, I give it to you, Lord. As the, the writer of the old hymn said, I surrender all. I'm a little bit longer than I normally go today, but I felt the Holy Spirit all week in this as I prepare to bring it to you. Our one thing, one last time, remember, God's grace includes blessings for us and dealings in us. The blessings enrich us and the dealings mature us. I believe in this moment that God is tapping on the shoulder of someone that is watching this, possibly a person in our congregation, maybe a member of your family, maybe someone who is watching in the community. Listen, none of you have ever done anything so bad, so wrong, that it's caused God to stop loving you. You can't do anything more to make Him love you any more than He already does. Hear that. Hear that. Jesus sent His Son. Jesus suffered the way all the prophets declared that He would, and He embraced that suffering. He, he embraced Gethsemane. He embraced that olive press of pain and taking on the sins of the world for you and for me. He did that in him and for me and for you. So this morning, I would just ask you in this moment, if you would turn your heart to the Lord and just say, God, I'm going all in. If you've never crossed the line of faith, it's very simple. You don't work for it. You don't earn salvation. It's a free gift. God gives that to us. It's called eternal life. And if you would, if that's you, if you would just like to pray a prayer with me right now. And, and though you've been afar off, God will bring you near. He'll bring you near so that you can make a choice to embrace him and go all in with him. Surrender your life to him. Let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Pray these words after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I feel this pressure financially. Don't know how my bills are going to get paid emotionally in our house with our kids, my spouse. Lord, all of the pressures are mounting. I just ask you that I not waste this circumstance. I lean into you. In the middle of my weakness, make me strong. I'm all in, God. I surrender. If you've never crossed the line of faith, Pray this with me right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I just say these words out of my mouth. I believe it in my heart and I say, Jesus, save me. I trust you. I turn from my, my past and I turn to you in faith. And I ask you to forgive my sins and change my heart and fill me with your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. All of God's people said, amen. Friends, thank you for joining us today. We pray that God is doing something very powerful in your life. And know that what you're going through, God is redeeming that. He's blessing you to enrich you. And he's dealing with all of us to mature us. In Jesus' name. Everybody be blessed. We love you.